the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host and L.A. Hockey Kings fan. Go Kings, go. L.A. Kings are in the playoffs. And I always look forward to that. Hockey playoffs. There's Hockey playoffs are great. If you're not into hockey, there is nothing better in any sport than hockey playoff sudden death overtime. I'm just, I'm not kidding. It's just the best in any sport. It's an amazing thing. So LA, you know, we're in the playoffs. And the thing is with, with hockey playoffs is you never know. Uh, we barely squeaked in there, but we can, we can win it all. It's happened before. We can do it. So go Kings go. We'll, we'll root for them and, and pay attention to, to some of that. Um, I used to go to the Kings games when, uh, Wayne Gretzky was on the Kings and go down the forum. I used to buy seats, you know, that were really by the uh, the glass, and they'd bring you your hot dogs and everything, and they were cheap. I bought those seats for 70 bucks a piece. I bet they're hundreds of dollars now at the Staples Center. Um, anyway, uh, celebrating with our uh, our local team, Go Kings Go. We want them to go. Uh, give us a call today. You can join the conversation, 888-LA-TALKS, 888-528-2557 is the number, 888-528-2557. You can also email the show, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. SoCalLive at KKLA.com. We're live in all of Southern California from KKLA, 3 to 5 each and every weekday, bringing you to the conversation for some encouragement, some fun, and uh, some information about the issues of the day from a Christian perspective. That's what we want to do. And we really enjoy having your comments as part of the the show, the number is 888-528-2557, and uh, I am ready for hour two, still nursing the, my, my same coffee. I think I got used to just sort of sipping it slowly since uh, I wouldn't have to wear a mask on a plane. Am I a bad person for that? I don't know. Uh, some people think so. We're not going to talk about that. Um, here's something I do want to talk about, though, and what I want you to think about is the story of the church, and it can be maybe some of the story of your church, and maybe it's your own personal story as part of the church, but the greater story of of the Christian church, if you are a Christian, or maybe if you're not a Christian, what is your perspective of the story of the church uh, throughout history? Just something to think about. And the reason I'm getting to that is there was a great article in, it's really the May issue of the Atlantic magazine. Atlantic is kind of a leaning left publication, but they actually put out some really good stuff. And the articles are really long. I can't get into all of it. It's like 32 pages long, printed out. And uh, But here's the title of the article. Why the past 10 years of American life have been uniquely stupid. <laughs> That's the name of it. And I thought, oh, I have to read this. And then it's actually about, uh, it uses a reference to the Tower of Babel, the author does. And he gives a very long, lengthy explanation about why things are difficult right now and why we're having so much division, why we have so much trouble trusting each other, so much trouble being unified. And so he breaks it down. I, I take issue with some of his points in it, but um, some of it is actually very, very good. Jonathan Haidt is the author and uh, published on April 11th. It'll be a next month's issue of The Atlantic. 
Um, but there's some points that I thought I would share with you. He asked the question, what would it have been like to live in Babel in the days after the Tower of Babel's destruction? Right In the book of Genesis, we're told that the descendants of Noah built this great city in the land of Shinar, and they built a tower uh, with its top in the heavens to make a name for themselves. And God uh, was offended by this and uh, took it down and mixed up their languages, right? So God says, look, they are, the only, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they will propose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down. Let us confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. The Bible talks about this moment being where multiple languages came about. And it's why, you know, it, you know when you have different languages, it immediately divides people, and people found people that they could understand. And then from Babel, they moved out and filled the earth. You know, part of the reason was is the instruction to, God's instruction to people was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And instead, they were gathering together and just sort of uh, building their own thing and and saying God doesn't matter, and that wasn't the plan. Uh, so he writes this, and he makes this analogy. He says, in the 20th century, America built the most capable knowledge-producing institutions in human history. He said, in the past decade, they got stupider in mass. And he's just putting it out there. Uh, he says, and he talks about the Tower of Babel, and he says, a metaphor. It's a metaphor for what is happening not only between red and blue, but within the left and within the right, as well as within the universities, the companies, the professional associations, the museums, and even the families. Isn't that true? Aren't we seeing division and we're seeing mistrust and we're seeing you know, difficulty in all of those things? He says, in the past years, and especially from 2011 to 2015, he writes, something went terribly wrong very suddenly. We are disoriented, unable to speak the same language or recognize the same truth. And I don't know if this his background is Christian. He's using a biblical story. Um, and um, that's kind of not exactly what his point is with all of this. But he gets into one, some of the things that tear us apart. And I really encourage you to to read this because it'll make you think. It'll make you think about the things that are revving us up. You know, one of the, you know, when we're looking at the news today and what's happening at Twitter and everybody's just afraid, right, is is or is the other side going to be banned from the conversation? Are we going to block this news? And, and people are really, you know, uh, fighting amongst themselves, even in families all around the country, and not everybody even understands what all this is about. And he says we've gotten stupider in mass. And he takes it back to the early Internet. And he says, the early Internet looked like a boon to democracy. MySpace, remember MySpace? Did you have one of those? Um, MySpace, uh, I had one of those. And uh, you know what? It was fun. You had your, you, it started to have division when you had like, your top eight friends, your top nine. I forget what it was. There was a top group of friends, and you would, you would maneuver them on the screen, their picture, for like, these are my best friends. These are my BFFs. And if you weren't in the, the top eight or whatever it was, you know, you, you, wondered why, and you started to feel bad. I think that was the beginning. That was the beginning of the internet insecurity, is I'm not in somebody's top eight. You know, why not? It's like, like that Seinfeld episode, if you watch that program, where what number on the auto dial were you on the old phone? You know, your, your more important friends were higher up on the auto dial. Uh, that began to happen. But it used to be fun. When social media came out at first, if you were on it, it was very fun. It made it easy to connect with friends. I got connected with people I hadn't seen in years, and still connected. I have great friendships, actually, that developed because of that today. And you could talk about common interests. You could post, you know, photos. It's changed um, 
class reunions. Do you still go to your class reunions? It's fun to see people, but the difference is because of social media now, you already know what your classmates are doing. You already, you're not going to reunion and wondering what they look like, wondering what happened to them, wondering what, you know, you've already met them. You already talked to them. You already know what they look like. You know how many kids they've got, if they've got kids, if they got married, if they're divorced, what's going on in their life. You know all of that before you get there. And some people don't even have the reunions anymore because part of the reason for them is gone. You don't need to figure out what happened to your friends. They're out there. And then he says this, instead, what happened? Well, it was really cool at first. Instead, the like button, the retweet and comments, if you use social media, these are buttons that are on there that help move the information very quickly. He said, what these things did, however, was it encouraged dishonesty and mob dynamics. So all of this is new to our to the globe. None of us had this before. And it really became, maybe you don't think about it, but social media has not been around that long, not even 20 years, most of it. I think Facebook launched in, in 2008, or that's when it became something that was uh, not just for colleges. It used to be just college campuses. Uh, started at Zuckerberg's own campus, and then he expanded it. Um, Twitter, YouTube, all of those things, they didn't exist not too long ago. You didn't have smartphones. You just had, I guess they were dumb phones. We just didn't know they were dumb. And uh, the dumbest thing was you keep the ringer on in church, right? You, you were at a funeral or something worse. I had my, my ringer go off one time while I was doing a funeral, and it was in my pocket, and I couldn't reach back to get it. But we were outside. It was very windy and kind of stormy, and I don't think anybody heard it because it, it was like the sound was blowing downwind from uh, where I was standing. But I was very embarrassed. Um, hopefully nobody heard it. So that like button, it changes the dynamics. And then he says this, and this is what I started thinking about for us, for Americans, but also for Christians, also for us in the church. Of three major forces that collectively bind together successful democracies, social media, he says, has weakened all three. Okay, so these are the three things that, three of the things, not the only three, but three things that bind together successful democracies. Social capital which is extensive social networks with high levels of trust. It's weakened. He says he's weakened all three of these. Social capital, strong institutions, and shared stories. And I think that's right. We've weakened our social capital. We don't have trust in each other like we used to. I mean, look at what's happening. Yesterday we talked about how there's not uh, trust in uh, the government uh, somebody in the last hour, we were talking about the water shortages, and one of the callers questioned whether or not there really is a water shortage. Maybe that's being made up. That's the level of mistrust that we have for our our government. And some people are probably looking it up going, you know what, well, maybe he's right. And we're going to go out and say, you know, what's happening? What's the conspiracy? What are we not being told? And we we struggle in this area. Uh, we struggle with uh, trust of the the church, trust of the police, trust of different groups of people who should be in authority. This is broken down, uh, and we don't trust each other. The stories about how we don't trust people who just disagree with us, it's significant. That's what, if you're following the news, all that stuff with Twitter and Elon Musk, that's what it's about. It's about the fact that people do no longer trust other people who just disagree with them. That if, in our culture, what's breaking down is that we have lost the ability to have dialogue. We've lost the ability to try to work hard to find the best solution. And everything is just us versus them. 
and we're dividing into smaller and smaller groups to be divided against these people and divided against those people. And then the third one was shared stories. And that's another thing we're attacking. When we attack our history, when we attack things in our country and we change, we change the history or we don't want to talk about this, we break our shared stories when we try to change the way we were founded or what we are about. When we can't tell the shared stories because we're not even always trying to change it, we just don't know it. We just don't have an idea of where we're founded, where we're going, what our country is about. That was, just, that was a thought I always had with the, the Make America Great Again slogan is do we know why we were great in the first place? Like we have a sense that something's wrong, right? I think the reason Donald Trump made so much success with that, and I pointed it out before, he's not the first. Hillary Clinton was using that in 2008, Make America Great Again. And Bob Dole was told to use it in uh, 1996. There's a Newsweek article where Bob Dole, somebody is imploring Bob Dole to use the phrase uh, Make America Great Again as his campaign slogan when he ran for president against Bill Clinton. There's been a sense for a while that we're not what we used to be. But when I hear that, I think to myself, are we still what we used to be? Do we even know what that means? Do we know how we got there? And that's what he means by shared stories is that we're divided in such a way that we don't even have the shared story. Now, there's good parts of our story that have been left out. Some of the conversation the last couple of years about race and other things have brought some things to our attention that we should know about. Uh, the Juneteenth holiday is coming up. Actually, you should you should look at that. It's a good story. It's the story of uh, the last group of slaves being informed about their freedom. And that's a part of our history. It's true. It's not it's not critical theory. It's not some other thing that's being you know enforced on us. It's part of our story. It's part of our joint story. It's a good thing. Uh, there are other things in that subject that are not good things. The whole idea that the Revolutionary War was just a um, a group of people who were trying to preserve slavery, and that's why we really wanted to get away from England. That's not true. That's not true at all. That's not part of our story. And what that's doing is it's attacking who we are as a nation. It ignores the fact that most of the founders were abolitionists. It ignores the fact that there were struggles about slavery and that they failed to get rid of it. It became our original sin that eventually it took a civil war to deal with, and we're still dealing with the effects of it. That's part of our story, though. We also have a lot of greatness in our story. We have greatness of of defending the world in two world wars, which without us, we may not be here. There may not be freedom in the world if we didn't exist. I mean, that's great. That's a great part of America. The way we have brought freedom, the way we have conducted government in such a way, all of these things are great about our country. Do we know these stories? Or are we just focusing on the bad part? We do have bad part in struggles, but everybody does, every country does, but we also have good things. And there are, are shared stories. And if we break those down, then we lose our connection with each other. We lose the ability to listen. We lose the ability to have empathy. And that's a lot of what this article is about. Like I said, it's really, really long. And I started thinking about this and I started wondering, you know, a lot of people say, can we have a time of revival in the church? Because the church gets divided over a lot of things. We get divided over politics. We get divided over lots of issues with the COVID period of time. We get divided over, you know, you know, music. We get divided over preaching style. There's so many different things, right? We get divided over PC over Mac. We get, uh, you know, obviously Jesus would have used a Mac, but, uh, you know, I don't push that on anybody. I'm kidding. I, you know, Jesus probably didn't need it. Um, the there are so many ways that we're divided. 
I think that a lot of what we need to know as believers is our story. How well do we know the story of the gospel? How well do we know the story of Christ? How, know, how well do we know the story of the church throughout history? What was the church doing during the plague? What are some of the reasons that the Christianity spread throughout the world without military power and without political power? What are some of the ways that the church has been heroes during times of difficulty? You see, we have a great story. We have a fantastic story. Do you have a story that you want to share about the church, about your own faith, maybe something that is a story about your church, something that you think that as believers we should have shared, a part of the story we should share? The number is 888-528-2557. That's the number, 888-528-2557. That's 888-LA-TALKS. You can call now. You can go to SoCalLive at KKLA.com if you want to send us an email. This article, he continues to talk about the the narrative of our country and how important it is, but he also talks about how we get divided and left and right. He says that the, this is his quote, he says, the stupefying process plays out differently on the right and on the left because their activist wings subscribe to different narratives with different sacred values. This is how we've, we've split kind of on the stories of, of where we are. He says, on the right, they share a narrative in which America is eternally under threat from enemies outside and subversives within, and they see a life as battle between patriots and traitors. Is that right? I don't know. I think it's maybe there's a little more to it than that. The left, he says, life at every institution is an inter, uh, eternal battle among identity groups over a zero-sum pie. The, this new narrative is rigidly egalitarian, focused on equality of outcomes, not rights or opportunities. And he's talking about how we're, we're spending a lot of time talking about equality or equity and redefining words. And, and on the left, there's a zero-sum pie, meaning that we don't have a lot to share, that instead we are different categories and we just need to keep categorizing ourselves into different roles in different places. Um, and then he talks about how it gets worse. It's kind of a brutal article. And he gets to the end and he says the bottom line is that he had, you know, this is his solution, that we have hope, he says, in the next generation, Gen Z, born between 1997 and 2012. That's Gen Z. Um, so 10 years old to 25 years old. That's the generation. Is that where we have to place our hope that they're going to do something different? Are they going to bring back our shared stories, maybe be more truthful about it or more full about it, but bring us to a place of agreement? You know, that's my son's age. He's 12. He's Gen Z. And I put it in that context. I thought, you know, and I started thinking about my son. How is he different? My son James is generationally from the ones that came before him. And what is he going to inherit? Does he, is he going to understand what it means to be an American? Is he going to understand Christianity in a way that is historical and accurate about Jesus? Or is Christianity just about going to church and my church and the the battles within and different things. What do you think about this? Is it triggering anything in you? Some thoughts? 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557. We'll take your calls if you want to join the conversation. And uh, we're going to take a break just in just a moment. So you can call now, 888-528-2557. You know, one of the things that I think helps us with our stories together is events that we do here at KKLA and also at KPRZ. And something coming up is the Pastors Appreciation 
breakfast in San Diego. It's a pastor's appreciation breakfast. It's on Wednesday, May 11th. You can go to kprz.com to sign up for that. In L.A., it's in Orange County, but it's in the L.A.-related counties. It's on May 12th at the Hyatt Regency in Orange County, and it starts at 8.30. Go to kkla.com. In L.A., it's Pastor's Appreciation Breakfast and also uh, breakfast for our first responders. And I was thinking about this because this morning I had breakfast with a police chaplain, and he took me to um, a coffee shop, but it was great. And it's an inner-city neighborhood in San Diego. And we sat there, we had coffee, and we laughed, but we talked about the difficulties that he faces as a police chaplain, the things that police officers go through. And then we started talking about community policing, community developing, and how hard that work is. A great positive conversation. And as we're talking about it, we notice we're looking around, and there are a few other cops in there having coffee, but there are people from all backgrounds, different ages. And I looked around and I noticed, you know, this is what it should be like. There, there didn't seem to be any any tension that you sometimes feel or that you hear about. I think it's probably like this more, more maybe than what gets reported. I think that part of our struggle is we report the bad so much that we forget that there's actually a lot of good, actually mostly good. Actually, people are working hard to get along, and you should be encouraged. There are people in your community uh, activists on the left and right. There are police officers who have different beliefs, firefighters, different people who are working really hard to bring communities together, to have conversation, to try to have the dialogue that so much of our country is driving uh, us away from. That's going on. That's one of the reasons we wanted to say thank you to first responders also. So I want to encourage you, uh, anyone, pastors are a part of this. This is a chaplain, so he's both. He's, uh, you know, we said, can I go to that? Yeah, you can go to that. You're pastor. And, uh, your pastors have gone through a lot the last couple of years, and your pastors are going through a lot of conversation and difficult places to navigate in all of this division we have because there's division in their own churches. Uh, people fighting about who to vote for and people fighting about all kinds of stuff, um, and it's so distracting from the gospel. What we want to do is say thank you to our pastors and uh, first responders in L.A. Go to kkla.com, sign up for that pastor's breakfast. It's on Thursday, May 12th at the Hyatt Regency in Orange County. Doors open at 8.30. Pastor Alan Jackson, the host of the Alan Jackson Ministries and uh, pastor of World Outreach Church in Tennessee, will be the guest speaker. And there are other guest speakers, a lot going on. And there's free breakfast, if if no other reason, free breakfast. Uh, Pastors, we all like free breakfast. And you know what? So do the cops and so do first responders. Who doesn't like free breakfast? And in San Diego, you can go to kprz.com and sign up. It's Thursday. It's a Wednesday, May 11th in San Diego, Thursday, May 12th in uh, Orange County, Los Angeles. This is the Southern California Live program. We'll be right back in just a moment. Don't go away. We are certainly right now in this country out of the pandemic phase. Namely, we don't have 900,000 new infections a day and tens and tens and tens of thousands of hospitalizations and thousands of deaths. We are at a low level right now. So if you're saying, are we out of the pandemic phase in this country? We are. What we hope to do, I don't believe, and I've, and I've spoken about this widely, we're not going to eradicate this virus, if we can keep that level very low and intermittently vaccinate people, and I don't know how often that would have to be, Judy, that might be every year, that might be longer in order to keep that level low. 
But right now, we are not in the pandemic phase in this country. Pandemic means a widespread throughout the world infection that spreads rapidly among people. So if you look at the global situation, there's no doubt this pandemic is still ongoing. That was Dr. Fauci talking to Judy Woodruff and saying that the pandemic essentially in our country is over. He wasn't really saying the pandemic is over. In other parts of that interview, he made it clear that the pandemic is still going on around the world. But he is trying to find a way, I think, to articulate what a lot of people are already doing and already feeling that we're moving on. And uh, it's interesting, though, when you look at the COVID cases that are reported, the COVID cases seven day average over a year ago, uh, April 26, 50, uh, there were 50,298. April 26 last year, there were 54,991. I think the cases are far greater than that because of the Omicron, Omicron. And uh, they, they, you notice they stopped calling the different variants Greek letters. They, it's like BM2 or something now that they call. It's got very different. Um, I think, a, you know, people aren't getting tested the same way. It's probably a lot more people have it than even a year ago. Here's the deaths, the seven-day average. Uh, 338 deaths over seven days in the United States versus a year ago, 706. So about half um, deaths at this point. And I think people are going to have a different approach to it. But here's here's my thought, sticking with our our theme here about how we trust each other. I'll bet in listening to Dr. Fauci, many of you heard what he had to say differently. And you you take whether or not you trust what he has to say differently based on your uh, experience, based on your politics, based on your impression of Dr. Fauci, your opinion about what's real and not about the COVID and all of those kinds of things. There's so many different opinions. And what we're talking about is how do we fix that as a culture? This article from The Atlantic that's uh, entitled, um, it was entitled Babel in the thing there, but the actual title of it, the full title, is about how we've become stupid over the last uh, 10 years, basically, uh, in uh, why the past 10 years of American life have been uniquely stupid is the title of it from uh, next month's issue of The Atlantic. And he's talking about comparing us to Babel and what happened. And a big part of it, he says, is that we are not binding together in the ways that we used to in social capital, strong institutions, and shared stories. And I've been thinking about this with you know, who we are as a people. We've changed a little bit as a people. He starts to talk about some of the the ways to solve it. And I think there is, you know, this, it's kind of bleak, right, to talk about this and maybe we get tired of it. But I think that there is solutions and it takes, it takes us, it takes us to try to push through all the stuff and all the uh, malarkey, to quote the president, one of his favorite words. I like that word too. We should bring it back. That, you know, we should say that more often. Um, all the malarkey that's out there and say, you know what, how do we look forward together? He's making this comment about the kids and how different things are. He says, we need to stop starving children of the experiences they most need to become good citizens. Free play in mixed age groups with children with minimal adult supervision uh, should be allowed. I didn't realize that wasn't allowed, but I realized that's changed. Were there, were there things you did as a kid that as a, a grown-up today, especially if you're a parent, that would just freak you out to know that your kids are doing I think about that all the time. I would leave on my bike in the morning and be gone. My parents had no idea where I was. And I was doing dangerous things on that bike. We'd build jumps with plywood that we pulled off of some abandoned house in the middle of the desert and lean it against guardrails and jump 
jump into somebody else's property and then try to get out of there before their Dobermans ate us up. And my parents had no idea I was doing that. Uh, I jumped over a ravine in the middle of the desert somewhere all by myself. There was nobody there. And I tried to jump with my bike. I don't know how old I was. I must have been 12. I tried to jump over this ravine and I didn't make it. And in the course of flying over this ravine, my seat fell off my bike. So there was just a pole there, which then when I landed on the, in the bottom of the ravine, I sat on that and I was in tremendous pain. And you just sort of lay there. I remember laying there, no helmets. You know, we didn't have a helmet in those days. If you wore a helmet when I was a kid uh, back in the 70s and 80s, um, if I was wearing a helmet, um, it would have been more dangerous because other kids would have thrown rocks at me because I was wearing a helmet. That's how different the world is. And I remember laying there for quite a while wondering if I was going to die. <laughs> and and uh, I didn't. And I found my seat, put it back on the bike, and I, I rode home. I went straight home. Uh, I was hurting. I remember how that felt. Um, and I think about that with my boys today and, you know, I just think, do I want them riding on busy streets? I used to ride down the busiest street on my little dirt bike. Nobody knows where I am going to stores, going to arcades, just doing whatever, getting some ice cream. And I would do that all day. What he's saying in this article is that we need to bring that back. And we've become so, um, overbearing in some ways on our kids that we're preventing them from having these experience that experiences that actually not only help them grow up, but also help them interact with other, other people that we're losing the ability to interact because of a lot of different things. He says every state should follow the lead of Utah, Oklahoma, and Texas and pass a version of the free range parenting law. There's a free range parenting law. I didn't realize that the free range parenting law. Um, I guess that means that you don't keep your, your kids in little cages waiting for your eggs. No, it means that here's what it means. It helps assure parents that they will not be investigated for neglect if their eight- or nine-year-old children are spotted playing in a park. Is that where we're at? Is that where if, if am I going to get hit up for neglect if my eight- or nine-year-old is playing in the park and I'm not around? Man, I was in parks. I was all over the place. I was lying in a ravine wondering if I was dead. Um, that's just kind of where we are. But the hope he's putting here is that there is a way to bring this back. There is a way to do this. I think the church plays a role in this. I think that if you are part of a church, you actually can play a role in this. Are we providing environments where people can actually get to know each other and build each other up? For the difficult issues, the things that really divide us, can we as the church actually come together and try to have good conversation about the hardest issues? Because the thing is, is that in the kingdom of God, you know, we're all going to be together, everybody who's a believer. And, you know, some of us are wrong about some issues and some of us are right about some issues and some churches are doing some things better and some things, um, you know, Jesus is going to say, why were you doing that? I don't understand that at all. You know, does Jesus like potlucks over barbecues? I don't know. Maybe he's got a preference. Maybe it doesn't matter. Um, but I think that the power that we have as the church is the the history that we have the history of the church, that yes, there's bad things that the church has done through history. We've seen bad things happen with the, you know, everybody brings up the same things. And some of the things going on today, you know, the scandals with the kids are are awful and shameful and they're terrible. They never should happen. And people ought to get prosecuted for that. In history, you've got the, you've got the bad things that happened during the crusade and the Spanish inquisition. And there's always things that people bring up. 
But how many of us actually realize that the church, the influence that we have had around the world, the influence we still have around the world is magnificent, that without the church, without Jesus's church, the whole world would be different. Over the centuries, the church founded schools, hospitals, orphanages. You know why you call it Sunday school? The reason you call it Sunday school is not because people thought you should have a, you know, a Sunday school small group before your church service with donuts and coffee. The reason is because it was school. There was no public school. There was no government school. There was nobody educating the kids. It was only the parents. And if the parents didn't do it, you know who picked up the slack? It was the church. And so Sunday school was school. And you would learn math and you would learn how to read. Yes, you would learn how to read by reading the Bible, the King James Version, which made you a good reader because that's hard. There are so many things. Churches founded schools, hospitals, orphanages, Churches are the ones who are campaigning more for prison reform, better housing, and end to the slave trade in history. They have, and we're still doing that now, they have helped establish a huge number of charities to support the poor, the underprivileged, prisoners, their families, homeless, people seeking justice around the world. You know, with all the failures of the church that we hear about, with all the bad stories that make the news, do you know what your story is as followers of Jesus Christ? Do you know how amazing the church has been over history in spite of our failures the gates of hell have not prevailed if you're a follower of jesus if you're a part of the the family of god you have a great family history and yep you got some people who are on your your family tree who you wish weren't there and who did some embarrassing things and some of them maybe you won't see them in glory because they didn't really belong in the family you just thought so and uh, maybe you will because of the grace of god and the great story we have and they are they're forgiven and uh, they may not get a special reward at the end, but they're going to be there because of the grace of God, which gives hope to every single person who's hearing this, that whoever believes in Jesus has everlasting life, the grace, it's unmerited favor, that there's nobody for any reason who Jesus is going to look at and say, I died for everybody, but not you. You know, not what you, you're, you know, all that stuff you do, that's awful. Just get out of here. Nope. If you, if you bring that to the cross, you get to be in the family of God, and in that family, you have a great history. That's our story. It's such a big deal. This is how we bring unity back. We've got to start in the church. We've got to start in our churches. We've got to bring our churches together to do things, and uh, that is a big part of where the solution to all of this bleakness is. Do you agree with me? You can call in and join the conversation, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. This is Southern California Live, your Wednesday edition. We'll be back in just a few moments. Don't go away. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live Wednesday afternoon. Great Wednesday here in Southern California. Hope you are enjoying your afternoon, your last part at work, your drive home. Maybe you're already home. Maybe you work from home. Maybe you are taking care of the kids wherever you are. Really glad that you have joined us today. And, you know, we've been talking about kind of the bleakness of different things in our world, but how great it is to know our story because the church can add so much to it through Christ when we get it right. 
we have something that can unite people. What We have something that can bring people back together. This article I've been quoting from, from The Atlantic, it talks about the Tower of Babel and how people were divided, and they were divided by language. This happens early on in the book of Genesis. The Bible, all the way through, it's talking about history and the, the history of the world, where it's going, and something happens shortly after the resurrection of Jesus. You just had Easter, right, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you can join us, by the way, 888-528-2557 if you want to join the conversation. 888-528-2557. You just had Easter a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, we pull out all the stops for Easter sometimes. I watched a couple of people's uh, Easter services, and, you know, I saw some amazing stuff. And and uh, some of it I'm thinking, oh, maybe you're like that every week. In other churches, I'm like, you only do that once a year, right? Easter Sunday, it's a big day, Resurrection Sunday. Um, but the thing is, is that we're living in the time of resurrection. And you know what else resurrection did? It gave God's people purpose and passion, and we got the Holy Spirit, and it started something. It started something with the kingdom of God. It started something that began in Genesis. It started a change that of things that occurred at the Tower of Babel. You know what happens uh, shortly after Easter is Pentecost. You know what happens there in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 6, when they heard this sound, the sound of the wind coming through they a crowd came together in bewilderment when the Holy Spirit came upon them because each one heard their own language being spoken. See, Peter's given the speech, and all of a sudden everybody hears their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each one of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygra, Pamphylia, Egypt and all the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Notice that at Pentecost, right after the resurrection, something happens. The repair of humanity begins. The restoration of people being one begins. The reversal of Babel begins. The church begins. One church how many churches are there in Southern California? If you go to some registry, you know, of nonprofit corporations, you're going to find thousands of them. But actually, how many churches are in Southern California? It's a trick question. It's one. There's one church. See, this is God's plan, and this is the world we live in now. If you are in despair because things are crazy, or if you have tension, if it just bothers you, and you are so wound up about all the things going on, you might have very good reason for your your anger and frustration. You might be angry and frustrated because you have believed a false narrative, or you might be frustrated and angry because you know what's true and and you can't get through to people. And you see abuse, and you see the hardship, and you see the results of sin and all this stuff. Do you know, Christian, that you live in the time of resurrection, that you live in the time where the curse at Babel is being reversed, that divided everybody by language, by all these different things, that through Christ we're coming together? See, this is what unites us. This is the story of the church This is the story that if you're a believer, you need to know this because it's so encouraging to know that God is doing this. It's about grace. If you're not a believer, you know, I'm I'm telling you this because I know that there are a lot of reasons you might have for not being a believer. 
And some of those reasons might be that you've heard, you know, the church has done terrible things and the church is in the news today for bad things sometimes, hypocrisies and all kinds of things. Some of you aren't Christians because you know some Christians in your workplace and that turns you off because of their behavior. I understand it. Push that stuff aside because it's not about them. It's about Christ and it's about grace. The thing that unites us, the thing that brings us back together, because all of us fail. All of us are miserable in one way or the other. We're all doing bad stuff. And if you don't think you've ever failed, talk to your spouse. They'll tell you or your kids or your grandma. Somebody's going to let you know, nope, you're not perfect. The thing that unites us, my friends, is grace. This is what brings us back together. Grace, that all people are made in the image of God. We all fall short of the glory of God. Everybody needs a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. He's the great equalizer, the great uniter. It's Jesus Christ. And this is our story. This is your story. Do you realize that? This is your story. This is your, when you go on Ancestry.com and you find relatives, you ever do that? I've got some relatives that I've discovered on there. I've got a relative who we discovered had a second family, like 50 miles away which you probably couldn't get away with today, but back then you could. And he had an entirely separate family. And there was a suspicion that he did. You know, there was a, you know, the thought was he would, he would, I guess he would go to work in the morning and come back two years later. And he would tell people, ah, I went down and he lived in Nebraska. I went down to Texas to work in the oil fields. Okay. Uh, But really what he was doing was going north 50 miles and uh, living with another wife and another set of kids. And not only did I prove that that's what he did through this website, I also proved that some of his kids from the first marriage knew about the second one and they were okay with it because they lived next door. They just never told his first wife. I mean, this this created anger in my family. And the, all these people are long dead, you know, but it hurt us. It's like, oh, this is part of our family. You know, we, you've got people in your family who are a mess. And we've got people in the church family who are a mess. Jesus says people in his genealogy, the Ancestry.com of Jesus, it's Matthew 1. You probably skipped that part, but you shouldn't. It's brilliant. So many people in there, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, people from walks of life, and they're a mess. And that's our family. And that's what unites us. Everybody listening, we're all a mess. And some of us are messier than others. You know, the history of the church, part of our story, the place that makes the church great is that we go into the mess. That there are times when we've run from the mess, there's times when we've been the mess. But throughout history, the church runs into the mess to go pull people out. Church work reaches people at all ages and stages of life. Imagine how bad the homeless crisis would be in our state, for example, right now, if there weren't churches and organizations like the Union Rescue Mission doing work. A report recently in Los Angeles, it basically said all of the government programs are not working. All the stuff that you read about in San Francisco about the homeless and the population up there and what's happening, it's a disaster. People aren't being helped. I I was working with a guy I've been working with a long time last night, and I love him. You might be listening because I told him about the show. And, uh, you know, I love you, man. And the fact that you showed up and I was able to help you, I mean, who can do that? I mean, lots of people help homeless people, but there's better resources out there because of the church. You knew where to go. The reason you know where to go is because the church has had this in their history. That's your story of the church. Be proud of the church. Be proud of who you are as believers and don't lose hope because we. it seems like this is a hopeless time. We're going into an election year and it's going to be insane. 
We got some other crazy person on the other side of the world threatening nuclear weapons. We've got, you know, this pandemic. Is it coming? Is it going? Do we trust? We've got water shortages. We've got all this stuff. You know what? We have a savior. We've got a story that's written down. We've got a story that we've experienced. And every single time the church has persevered because the ethos behind the church is that we run into the messes and we bring grace. This is what you're called to do. This is what your church is called to do, to do these things. This is something that we're called to do together. I hope that encourages you. The church makes a difference in the lives of millions around the world. The church does so many things. There's such a huge list. And, you know, imagine if it didn't. We It would just be so much worse. The church does great things. You do great things. You're the church. It's because you love the people that God placed in your life. If you're wondering, hey, where do I start? Start with the people God has put in your life already. The people who are your coworkers, your next door neighbors, your family, your classmates, people living in your dorm, the people that live in your apartment complex. Pay attention to them. Get off the phone. Get off the video games. Take some time to go hang out. Sit outside your on your porch and greet people. Get to know them. And God's going to use you to do great things. This is what's going to bring unity. The expression of grace that we give as the body of Christ, the same one that he gave us. This is what's going to bring us together. I hope that's helpful for you. I hope that's a big part of your day and it's encouraging to you. That's what we want to do here on our program is encourage one another. A great thing about Christian radio is that we can do this. We can take these issues and they're just so frustrating. And yet we've got the solution, don't we? And the solution is each other. You know, we're a family. It's so good to be a part of your family. I'm grateful to be a part of the family here with you. I want to encourage you to check out the website. Go to kkla.com. Check out all the different ways you can be involved. Invite your pastor or first responder to the pastor's meeting on the 12th in L.A. and to the single mom's uh, brunch on the 7th of May. And if you're in San Diego, go to kprz.com and invite your pastor and church leaders. It can be anybody who works at a church at these events. It's on the 11th, May 11th to go and hear from Pastor Alan Jackson, be encouraged, and uh, continue to serve people, continue to have grace for one another, and also to have grace for yourself. See, Jesus had grace on you. The reason he can empower you to go love others and be, be effective is because you've been forgiven. You've got grace. Unmerited favor. You didn't deserve it. If you're saying, I don't deserve it. Well, you don't, but you got it anyway. That's the great thing about our loving God. And we've all got that together as a, as a family right here. God bless you. I'm Scott Furrow. It's great to be with you. This is Southern California Live. We'll be back tomorrow at 3. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.